Incoming transmission from Podfleet Command on screen. Welcome to the 10th episode of Trek Geeks Picard Live. My name is Barry DeFord, and I will and have been your inner light of remembrance while we look back at what was the season finale of Star Trek Picard, titled Et in Arcadia Ego Part 2. If the internet drops, we have the always talented EBH, Mr. Dan Garcia, to help us out. He is also from Trek Geeks Game Night, so you can check him out there. And this broadcast is broadcasting live on YouTube, Facebook, and now also on TrekGeeks.com. Picard Live is also proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor, and we'll have more information about them later, including, including a special discount code just for viewers of the broadcast. So this is actually coming to the end of that as well, just so you all know. So I think, first of all, as we usually do to start things off, let's put it straight. Spoiler alert is something that, well, we're going to be talking about the end of this season. So if you're just dropping in now, if you don't mind, we're all good. But I think in this case, we got to put up the old spoiler alert icon about soon, shall we say. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So yes, if you have not seen Etin Arcadia Ego Part 2, please stop now so that you don't have it spoiled for you. But I'm also not your boss. So if you want to keep watching, you go right ahead. Well, as we usually do, this is where we orient ourselves to learn and think about the man who now has a whole arc we have to ponder. In our first segment, let's straighten things out, what we just saw with the Picard Maneuver. Well, this has been good. We've got Narek on the cube doing his thing he's uh managed to escape as he did last time we've got elnor and seven chatting uh again just sort of giving the two a bit more of a connection to one another we have narissa and Narek meeting once again and uh it's a good little exchange between the two of them gives you another idea that one is a lot more of a blunt object than the other Narek takes off with a couple of grenades and a pretty uh pretty hasty made but a relatively effective plan We've got Picard imprisoned, and Soji uh, decides to uh, have a chat with uh, with Picard about the choice she's made to side with the synths. And there is a really interesting point that I want to bring up a little bit later, where Picard talks about her failure of imagination. We also have uh, plans that don't really match up with what Merrick, with what Narek does, but it does uh, set up uh, Nerissa's arc in the end. Of course, the idea was to take those grenades and blow up the Orchid uh, spacecraft thing that defends the, the greenhouse of death, I guess you could say. But it definitely sets up what Nerissa is about to go and do, and that is die by the uh, really good Chuck Norris level kick from, uh, from Seven of Nine. After that, uh, Elnor follows Narek ostensibly, um, hearing his conversation uh, with Nerissa. Not too sure if that is definitely the thing. And we have some cool devices on La Serena. Luckily, uh, you don't have a soul is one of my favorite points on that. Um, when we talk about Rios and using this imagination key, sort of a... I don't know. It's something that we could say maybe harkens to other franchises. Maybe it's a bit of a, a quick fix sort of thing, or maybe it has something to do with the way uh, these androids think, right? If they can imagine it, they can make it a thing. Let's, uh, let's whoa, see. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Here's my problem with that imagination key. Let's just, let's just talk about it. We need to sit down and talk about it. 
Well, if it isn't Mr. Shashankavaru, my lovely brother in Trek from Paula Treks, uh, he's been helming that wonderfully and talking about this very same episode. So uh, most of you knew that this was going to be a thing. But yes, Shashank is here to tell us all about what he thinks about this finale. And uh, maybe we can have a nicer uh, sort of point counterpoint debate as we move forward through things. So yeah, this uh, interesting imagination key. What does it remind you of the most, Shashank? Oh, uh, in brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. People listening, if they read comics, they know that's the Green Lantern power ring. And, yeah. Uh, I, my problem is not that they use that concept. That is completely fine. Trek has always been inspired or homaged or taken things from other franchises. I just, I wish there had been a better setup for it sometime in the first act or the second act. That was one of my, again, this, I just want everybody listening to know this is armchair writing. I don't <laughs> run a show. Nobody gave me the resources to create season two of Picard. I am not that caliber. I just write in my own little corner and on Trek News. You can read my reviews on treknews.net. Uh, but there are certain things. That's one of the reasons why I was so happy to be on today is so I could have a constructive debate and not in, I hope people don't think this is disrespectful or me trying to get at someone with an agenda. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Absolutely. Well, and that's why we have you here. So we're going to continue doing a uh, bit of a card maneuver tennis, I guess you could say. Um, mm -hmm. Well, as we kind of work our way down through this. So definitely the uh, the imagination key thing is is quite interesting but uh, i do like how we have a running gag which is quite heartfelt the you were right again later said uh, by picard but uh, raffi gets told she was right by all of the folks uh, she encounters all the way through this we've got uh, alton sung and gerardi uh, having a little uh, chat among themselves and what they're going to be doing and i wonder to some degree is Gerardi not killing again by pulling the eyeball out of the dead dead synth and then like walking off and not monitoring her memory transfer? I I, I don't know for sure. Shank, do you think that's a do you think that's a like a sort of an oblique murder again? Well, uh, another one of my not I'm not saying it's just one of my criticisms about the show is she never really was held accountable for her first murder, which no. was. And again, irrespective of how you feel about sins and humans or organics, she never actually was held accountable for that. So this is right on par with what happened uh, next in the finale. And I don't know if that we don't know what actually happened to the eye. Right. So uh, I figure so, she just put it in her pocket. Yeah. Uh, she might have she might have found it where Jana died or Saga died and. Uh, because that's where they stab her, uh, Sutra and Narek or Kayan, they stab her there. So I assume she just found and put it. The, well, it, no, it she, she like reaches in and pulls that thing right yeah. out. Yes, yes, she yes. Just, she goes for it. So, so she was speaking of dead body is, is what I thought happened. Yeah. With me? All right. So continuing on, we've got Narek, we've got Rios, Rafi, and then Elnor. And then later soon, they all kind of sort of form into this uh, anti-synth group. And uh, it was quite quick, right? Basically, it's a it's a declaration of uh, of the Ganmadan or the apocalypse, as it's called. I appreciate the extension here of Romulan culture, actually. This is something that I think is going to end up giving a lot of people things to talk about as, you know, we we sort of 
reflect on the series that was is is just how much um, sort of foundational uh, material is being brought to the fore in Romulan culture. So I thought that was kind of neat. There's a lot of shifting sides in the ending as well. Um, did you see that kind of group coming coming at all, Shashank at all, or, or, or did you see that one as, as something a little less less easy to, to pin? I didn't see it happening that easily that somebody who maybe 24 hours ago was shooting at you, trying to kill you, <laughs> just is allowed to band together and devise a secret plan with. But I get it. Uh, I understand it. It's a storytelling choice. I don't agree with it. I don't think uh, that Rafi and uh, Rafi and Rio should have been that easy or trusting with Narek. But, you know, we got what we got. She wasn't actually, you know, if you think about it, she wasn't very much with um, with Gerardi. She wasn't with Elnor. Uh, I don't even think she fully was with with Seven at the start. So I think that's interesting that um, she did, in fact, sort of change her tune a bit with Narek. But as we continue going, we've got Picard and Gerardi uh, sailing off to stall the uh, the Romulan attack, and uh, they sort of setting up the showdown uh, happens quite well, where you have the the warbirds show up, and then you have the sort of sort of staged defense system of of greenhouse of death. Uh, versus Picard, and then using that imagination thing to to make more uh, copies of La Serena just in time for the fleet to finally show up from the Federation. And we see this in Picard giving his sacrifice, his message to to Soji, and I think he sort of uh, that that manages to kind of logic O into deciding to leave. And then we see the beacon. Um, had been opened at that uh, point, and there is this standoff that uh, that Picard, of course, ultimately manages to uh, break down and convincing Sh- Soji through reason. Right, he he does a full Picard speech in this case um, to uh, to get Soji to change her mind on uh, on opening the portal to the fourth dimensional synth god creatures to destroy the entire uh, any any organic life. I guess you could say. Um, there's a little piece of that quote that really stuck out to me, and it's something that I would hope that uh, folks you heard as well um, or at least maybe uh, you noticed it too is where he says that's why we're here to save each other and I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if anyone's been outside recently since a lot of us aren't allowed outside but I really feel like that's something that we can reflect on for ourselves as well that uh, we are who can save each other here in, in a lot of ways now if you're actually sick you know make sure you can get to medical authorities and stuff but if it's someone who's down on their luck um, with the way you know things are working with people's jobs or access to food or any kind of help i mean there's a lot of mutual aid groups that are popping up around the country uh, both sides of the border so uh, definitely if you can um, get involved and and see if you can help people and if you're sick stay home i, so, I hope you don't mind me just giving a quick shout out to jimmy mcgregor yeah uh, we he, he's been dealing with some things and I just want yeah. everyone to know I'm thinking of him and send some good vibes his way. Yeah, love to you, Jamie. We uh, we hope everything works out for you. He's not in in dire straits, anyone. He he he's he's all good, but uh, definitely. So, I think at this point, Shashank, we can look at some of these comments. Let's see what folks have been saying as we've been kind of riffing through this. So, first off. Uh, uh, Mr. Kurtratz production, Productions, which is another Dan who's been on the show. He says, how dare you not like everything good, sir? How absolutely dare you? So, of course, he is up for a uh, a good uh, a good chat. We've, I will uh, say that is the most polite how dare you have gotten in the last two weeks. 
work. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that, Dan. Thank you. Yeah. Ah, yes, this isn't the appropriate time to wear a red shirt, but remember, this is a command shirt. It's uh, it's ops and security that die the most, and they were red in the 60s, and they were golden mustard. They're that color uh, in the 80s and 90s. So uh, I do take that to, uh, to account, though, and thank you. Debbie's, uh, Debbie's uh, uh, on, on the bridge saying, I just caught something in this rewatch. Is it possible that Agnes sets Sung up to see Sutra involved in Saga's murder? What do you think about that, Shashank? Do you think Agnes could have been the one to, you know, instead of doing the image transfer, that's the part that she left for him to see? It's possible. She is definitely the character that has done some of the most evil things. It's weird, but if you think about it, she almost is a villain in the season. Yeah, I think, you know what? You're right. It is. Um, yeah, I, she has a villainous end to her. I guess like there isn't really, um, I, I guess the, the big thing that we have to understand here is this series doesn't end with a zero sum conclusion. Mm-hmm. it's not it isn't perfect for everyone and and i think that's an, an interesting point that even in the sense of coming in i don't think it was zero sum i think we all thought we knew who gerardi was going to be and then that changed everything mm-hmm. quite quickly so yeah definitely that is uh that is a good point let's see marina is here i just saw one of her marina this is here no marina Kravchuk. Ah. i i would say i would i would take both but but marina kravchuk is always fantastic to have wonderful to see you so she says agree to a point the imagination tool was a bit thrown together i originally thought that it was meant to use to fix picard because the use of the golem seemed a bit too obvious that is a really good point why didn't they just imagine in that that abnormality out of his brain so one of the things i was thinking about because we want to be constructive and mm-hmm. even though we are doing armchair writing, we want to present ideas that people might think are good. So one of the things I thought about uh, while I was rewatching is, if you think about it, Soji's necklace is pretty vestigial at the end. It just be- is a symbol. It doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Had they in the first act shown that Soji or Daj use it in certain ways that this tool does, when it gets to the end and Soji maybe gives it to Picard or someone in the crew, you still have all the things that the power tool could do, but you've set it up in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Let's just say Soji or Daj got it from Maddox or who they think is their father, and they mm-hmm. use it at times to fix things. Or maybe it's something Soji uses when she's doing her uh, Borg anatomy, XB anatomy, and you see it doing the things that it does. And then she, in at some point in the show, explains this is what the tool does, but humans are not allowed to use it. And then at the end, in time of distress, she gives it to Picard or somebody to use it. And then you could have kind of bought it to a point. I'm not saying it's the best way to go about it, but they had an opportunity to set it up. I guess like you, you're sort of looking at it like a like an algebraic equation, right? Where you try to simpl- simplify both things on each side of the equal sign, right? And I do think that, yeah, I mean, to to incorporate the necklace into a device like that, sort of it hiding in plain sight the entire time, that mm-hmm. um, that might have been a neater way of of looking at it uh, for yeah. sure. Because yeah, you're right they 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 did seem a little more um, significant when we first saw them. I mean, they are significant in the sense that they show you know they're sisters, right? And that's that's important. And and that that concept of family that sort of arcs its way through the entire series. Let's see what Jamie has. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, let's see what Jamie has to say. Uh, 
Chabon said after the finale that Agnes will submit herself to the authorities when they return. I wonder if this will be part of season two. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, if they started season two, much like they started Voyager, where Janeway is talking to Tom Paris in like Federation jail, I mean, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. That is, it's glad that Chabon said that, but think about the number of people who would go on Instagram and read Chabon's comments post a show. Mm -hmm. uh, for people who are watching, the majority of them, we gave you those 10 hours of our time to mm -hmm. give us these answers, right? It's fair to say that somebody would say something like that off the show, but it's kind of like saying, you know, I, I, uh, any chance I got, I would hit the drum on. People read Picard Countdown comic, but, you know, most people didn't, but they yeah. still seem to enjoy the show. So it's kind of hard to connect those outside of the show things. Mm -hmm. But I understand it. I mean, that's great. If that really is, is what is happening, that is that is good. Yeah. One last comment here uh, from Helen Reed. Nice to see you. Uh, what was the purpose for sending Dodge and Soji away from their homeworld with the false memories of a childhood they never had? What was their mission? I, I think that was addressed in in the not this part of the finale, but the part one, I think, or, or episode uh, eight as well, where basically it was understood that their purpose was to sort of was sort of Maddox's passion project of trying to incorporate synths into the world uh, mm. again and be able to uncover be, with their intelligence, be able to uncover the Mars plot and also be able to sort of prove make well, the proof is in the pudding kind of thing that they can, that they can do that. Actually, um, Dan also has an answer to that. Their mission was uh, to discover the truth behind the synth ban, ap apparently, which Soji never, which Soji eventually did. I'm assuming Maddox su suspected the Romulans, which is why Soji was at the artifact. Yeah, I think what Dan is saying is on point because if you remember, when Sutra meets with Soji around the group of synths, she asks Soji, "Did you complete your mission?" And Soji says, "Yes." So I think what Dan is saying is spot on. Yeah, yeah. I guess like um, I can understand that kind of getting lost though, and I would say that the last three episodes are a lot of things converging to a showdown. And it's yeah. always, it's always important to see that because you almost sort of see it, the, the crescendo of events increases and increases and increases. And I think it's possible to, to miss or lose things. Also, I'm going to wash out like super bad <laughs> because we have had a immense snowstorm over the last 48 hours. So it is like incredibly Canada out there. It's very, very cold. And the snow, I would say, is about knee deep. And that's over like, you know, a 48 hour period. So anyways, moving forward, let's go into our next segment. Um, which is one that I have always enjoyed, but uh, I'm wearing the captain's amount this time around, uh, the no pips, no problem. And of course, what this basically is, is Picard's no longer a member of Starfleet. How is this and how has this changed his actions, his attitude? And I mean, we've really seen a lot of differences taking place with this in our segment called No Pips, No Problem. So the first thing I want to talk about and I want to dive right into and I want to hear everyone's thoughts about this then is this device. Marina Kravchuk said that it seemed a little uh, moved in really, really quickly. She also called me too sweet. Thank you, Marina. You are also quite sweet as well. Um, so basically... This thing is to me like if a sonic screwdriver met a green a green lantern ring. Is that would that be something you would say as well? Oh yeah, it's totally the green lantern ring. 
especially when Rios was using uh, the device and it started spouting out blue light. I was like, that's the green lantern ring of hope. Come on, you guys. That's great. <laughs> Again, not saying it is a bad thing. Uh, my problem is not with the fact that the concept is not original. My problem is with the fact that you've been dealing with problems from beginning to episode 10. And in episode nine is when they introduce this thing and it just ends up in these people's hands and they fix it. Uh, one of the examples I gave somebody who was asking me, you know, what would have been better is if you think about the first Star Wars movie, instead of people working to get the Death Star plans, imagine if Luke and his five ships show up to this Goliathan sized space object and they magically figure out, oh, you know, I, I just, I think there'll be a hole somewhere that's a 16 by 16. And if we shoot it, it'll blast open. Uh, like Potentially. There is, yeah, there is no earning of that thing, which mm. is one of my uh, problems with the fact that it was given to them. I also don't understand why the synth people would give the organic people anything, especially something this powerful, right? If you, if you think about it, all the organics have done to the synths, especially after they've seen the admonition mm -hmm. or experienced it at this point, is, is just hurt. Uh, and... Uh, this is a bad analogy. It's a probably a Polytrex analogy that I should leave it at Polytrex, but <laughs> that's right. It, I Polytrex this a little bit myself sometimes. Yeah. So it's like, uh, like somebody comes to colonize me and I just give them the land and I say, no, you're great. Thank you for colonizing me. Like that's what the sins and the organics have. The relationship is not great. The organics, well, there, there is ahead. a, there is an inherent exploitative, um, there is an exploitative relationship between what we saw the synths, especially on, on somewhere like Mars, right? When, when they're there, I mean, there's definitely an exploitative aspect to it. There's an othering they're you know, called, you know, they're, they're basically referred to as toasters, uh, yeah. to refer to other other franchise as well. But I think that, um, you know, what we're getting at with, with this, with the use in terms of its writing versus the use in terms of what it is in as a form of technology. Um, I think, yeah, the writing was like, whoa, really, really quick. But I was thinking about this and uh, I've been reading articles on quantum science and like quantum technology, quantum computers and stuff like that. And it isn't necessarily out of the question to think if you go into the quantum that such repairs would be possible. And actually I'm gonna use that statement to bring up what Jackie says, she goes, I think the device you have you have to have the knowledge on how to fix the problem, then it can do its job. But but just by picking it up, I don't think it could do brain surgery. So that's an awesome point because if you but think it was about never it, it was never explored, right? And yeah, that, and that's and that's the point. It's it's kind of also confusing that Jurati just happens to know things about war maneuvers and how to handle a starship and image an entire hundreds of a version of a ship with warp signatures when mm -hmm. it's really her second time in space. Yeah, I mean that she definitely and the good part is is when the actual La Serena gets gets struck, all of those other ships disappear instantaneously. And I thought that was an important point. But yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. how much does she really know? And and so would that would that logic hold if we kept going? But I think, yeah. I think if we re sort of recalibrate ourselves to this specific moment, I would say that, yeah, either this got written in quickly or the, just the way it was produced. Um, we just didn't get any time to figure out what this, what this thing specifically was. 
let's see here. Debbie is saying, I enjoyed the finale, but I thought it could have been a 90 or a 120 minute episode. We're going to talk more about that in the supplementals for sure, Debbie, but you are very right. I think we, the biggest thing we suffer from here is too much story, too little time. Um, and then, uh, uh, Dan says Bruce also tells Picard that that was their mission at the end of Stardust City Rag just before Gerardi um, dusts him. Ah, yes. <laughs> nice, nice use of the term dusts him. So that's kind of jumping back to a conversation that's happening on the comment thread right now um, about uh, just Maddox and whatever this mission that Dodge and Soji truly had. But back just to the um, uh, to, to the imagination device, Shashank, you had a thought that I want to let you uh, to get there. Uh, sure. So, uh, which one are you talking about? I think uh, I, I kind of elaborated on or said a little bit about, you know, the the setup in Act 1 or Act 2 would have helped. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's really confusing to me that an Okinawa scientist happens to uh, know how to handle a, a clearly uh, a tense, last minute, you know, Cuban Missile Crisis style standoff situation. That's the one that... Uh, I don't know how Jurati earned that or how it happened upon that she knew those things, uh, uh, especially considering, you know, if you if you remember going back to episode three, she she says, this is my first time in space. I've never actually seen space. I don't know what mm. it's like. So that, that, yeah, just felt a little out of place for me. It's like, you shouldn't allow your characters to do everything. Mm. Like, they can't all be G.I. Joes. <laughs> you, you have to show what people's strengths and weaknesses are well i mean that is that is one thing though is is like i mean one can hope she was paying attention but yeah there is definitely some 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 jumps there here so um oh great um sorry i'm just gonna go here to uh brad uh demagd that's that's good um uh, that grin on her face was kind of creepy when she used the super tool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's many the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. That was so oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then, uh, yeah, that doesn't mean she, that doesn't mean she doesn't understand the basics of warp tech. Well, yeah, I mean, she sure. being an Okinawan scientist. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's go to the next bit here. And that's the data factor. And I'm going to say something straight up. I really love Brent spider whenever he plays his data. And, I loved this exchange between him and Picard when Picard is dead inside of this little, you know, kind of computer box that data's intelligence has been there. And one thing about how data and Picard have always just interacted with each other, the idea that, that they truly say that you know, they get to say that they loved each other in, in their own special ways. I really loved that piece. I was over Data's death when Nemesis happened. And so I wonder, having Data back in that exact um, in that exact moment, it's an interesting way to kind of connect Picard's desire to get something better than what he had when he had to leave Data, when, when Data put the communicator on him and sent him away, versus Picard never getting that chance to, to get that. I think there's... This is this is sort of a culmination of Picard's grief, and it's definitely something that most people in real life are never really truly afforded. And so, 
I don't know. It was something to explore and it was something to think about. And and being someone who's just lost a family member recently, this kind of hit me because it was like, man, if I could have had the opportunity in like some fever dream to to be able to say something to my brother again, that would be so much more um, meaningful to me. But I can't. I'm not I'm not able that that won't actually happen in, in my lifetime. So I don't know. What were your thoughts on on Data's return ish? It's symptomatic of the show's desire to have its red velvet cake and eat it too. <laughs> red velvet cake. Nice, nice. If you think about it, the show wants you to experience Picard's death, but they don't actually kill Picard. So you see all these characters go through it all the while knowing that he's going to come back because A, they announced season two already, which is information I think they should have held off on if they wanted the finale to be as powerful as it was. And again, they want him to continue. Uh, and because of the way the show had been treating you so far, especially considering what happened from six or seven to 10, if you think about how they've been setting things up immediately and paying them off, you saw the golem in the last episode. So anybody who had been paying close attention they knew this was at some point going to happen, that Picard's body was going to transfer into this. So, uh, but c- correct me if I'm wrong, maybe somebody in the comments will know. Uh, was the fact that Data's consciousness was in a computer on this planet, did anybody know about that? Or like the fact that it's in a computer and it has these switches, that was something that was set up in that conversation, right? I don't know if that was ever talked about before that. Yeah, I'm not terribly certain exactly what kind of interaction he would have had. All I can say is he definitely, um, he was definitely very lonely. You could tell, right? The way, the way Spiner was characterizing data, if you look at the way the set was dressed, I mean, you've got the hearkening back to all good things as well, where data is wearing that, um, you know, thing, uh, his, his smoking jacket. Um, I think, I think it had to bounce around a little bit too, right? He, he transferred his consciousness into B4, um, you know, as far as we understand, I think that was through the comics and the novelizations, but B4 was not a, B4's processor was not able to handle data's, data's program, basically, I think, um, and then, yeah, sorry, here, yeah, De- Debbie is saying um, it was transferred into B4, and then Jackie says uh, they smuggled out a neuron of Data's and carried it all of his memories. From there, it seemed they built uh, they built all the, uh, that in the computer for him. At least that's how I understood it. Yeah, that's that's... I would say that's about correct, but the ability to necessarily interact with him, I think wasn't necessarily possible because I think you'd have to actually like plug in. Cause I think that's what they did with Picard was they were able to transfer his consciousness into that data key and then they plug him in, he interacts. And then while he's there, he's basically uploading into this golem and he goes and does that. And data is basically like, I don't want to be in this box anymore. I'm tired of being here. Uh, you know, I, I don't need to live any longer. And when he says the idea that life, and this is something really important, what are, you know, what makes friendship and love and all of those other things valuable. It's the fact that they're, they won't last. That's what makes them so valuable. I mean, when I think about, um, this whole this whole show i mean we've got this episode and then a recap in two week or in in two weeks time um this has been a really meaningful trip for me getting to know all of these wonderful people in the comments comment section having wonderful guests come on learning about the internet and why it works and doesn't work um but it won't last right it this is coming to an end and i can't i can almost kind of can't believe it uh in that respect so yeah i guess 
I guess it's a good way of explaining things out. Um, but I also was a little bit shocked to have data back for a few moments and then to lose them again. It was maybe I'm, I really hope I'm wrong, but it was harrowing to know that data has been alive this entire time, basically in a little box and nobody was talking to him or interacting with him. Mm -hmm. And the one moment he got to actually talk to someone, he asked them to kill him. That is pretty horrifying. <laughs> I guess. And it's weird that nobody on the planet full of synths who were essentially, you know, inspired by data mm -hmm. or their data type and that nobody talked to him before or got to know about this request before. Like, does that... It, maybe the odds, or, or maybe that's what Soon wanted, is he wanted to keep data alive. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know, that, that possibility is pretty scary, is that they had him in a little box and nobody talked to him or interacted with him until that moment. Well, that is one thing, actually, I think that um, um, if we think about it, data did spend a long time in... Um, in uh, what's it called uh, underground after time's arrow. That's what uh, Debbie brings up, right? Um, like he 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 spent a long time alone to contemplate. So I think that might be something important. So let's um, let's maybe move. I'm going to give you the last word, Shashank. And before before that happens, I'm going to give you the last word on this one um, in regards to data's just sort of legacy in this series? What would you say Data's legacy is for the series itself so far? Because I mean, we talk a lot about Picard and all the other characters, but Data's sort of, his shadow has been cast pretty much through all of this. Data's legacy to me is the sins that are left on Coppelius. For better or for worse, intentionally or unintentionally, there are now, quote unquote, a race of people or whatever you want to call them that now carry on with them the dna the star stuff that made data and it's in a way very very moving and powerful if you think about the fact that we went from one character who was made as and, and it existed almost as an improbability and he wondered this entire time what it was like to be human and he got that desire and he got the worst part of humanity or the human experience, which is death, I think. Uh, and now there are a race of people who get to experience what he experienced and they all have their own perspectives and thoughts and beliefs to bring to it. And that to me is his legacy. Now he has, again, wrong term maybe, birthed or created a, a, pe a people that get to experience humanity and the universe, The the way he gets to do it hmm. or he got I like, to do it. I like that. Well, that's a good last word. I'm going to move to the next bit here. And that is the, the, the transfer of Picard into this golem. So, um, first of all, you know, they, they, they say basically, Hey Picard, um, you know, we've, we've moved you into this new body and it's exactly the same as it was. There's no difference whatsoever. It just doesn't have the abnormality. You'll even have a relatively normal, you know, 24th century lifespan and everything like that. And this was all to, to not shock you. You know, we didn't want to shock you for this sort of stuff. What did you, what did you think about that? Shashat? <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts, but I know we only have 25 minutes on this. Okay. Again, I want to be constructive. 
I want to, even if I'm doing armchair writing, I want to give thoughts that I thought were honest. And so this is still Star Trek. Yes, yeah, I think okay. so. Uh, <laughs> it's it's all. I I will never make the argument that something is not Star Trek if they slapped the logo of Star Trek on it and they made it as part of what the franchise is, or you know what I'm saying. Like I yeah. will never say something is not my Star Trek. It's all somebody's Star Trek. I have to acknowledge that. And yeah. people who don't, they're just kidding themselves, I think. But yeah. uh, I would firstly like to know, please give me your thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a genuine question to everybody in the comments and you. Uh, I'm not saying this rhetorically or to pick a fight with anyone. But what was the point of give of Picard's brain condition? If the idea was to for him to die, it would have made sense, but he's not dead. And if the idea was for somebody to grow in some point in a story if you want to include something like death and then you're going to undo it how has it changed picard or anybody that is not picard that has been close to picard because you see them cry and that is really touching but 12 hours later he's back and they're all where they were on episode three they're ready to he says engage and they're all ready to go again Right. So what happened in from the beginning of episode four to 10 that justified Picard's death uh, and made the characters grow? Yeah, I think I mean, really, I'm going to I'm going to just dive right into the hero story. And this is it's a it's a death redemption scenario. Right. There's uh, there is the the latent Christos image that takes place throughout all of this. Right. If we want to get into the sort of I mean, not to step on the toes of the folks who are, are uh, Christian watching or anything like that. It's just, you know, there there are sort of messianic features to what Picard was trying to do, how he did it. His death and resurrection are quite apparent. And I mean, that's something that's etched into to human uh, human stories from 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 forever. But um, I think, you know, as a plot device, it really did raise the stakes in terms of whether or not what we're going to see of Picard in the end. Um, but yeah, I think the the golem showing up and then it gets paid off in the next episode kind of, I mean, yeah, when I knew when I saw him dead, I was like, oh, he's going to be in the golem. He's going to be in the golem. It didn't stop me from, you know, being quite sad watching Patrick Stewart you know, die on camera, um, yeah. because that's something I don't like to see. But yeah, I mean, I guess, again, it kind of moved pretty quickly, right? There was an up and a down very, very fast. And I guess if we think about it, uh, I'm going to end with Helen's comment here. Uh, she says, Picard is a synth now. That's what's changed, right? He now is a very weak, uh, <laughs> but he, you know, he is, he is a synth, right? I mean, couldn't they have given him like a hand cannon or something like that? Yeah. I don't know. So we will talk about that. I promise. Yeah. But what Helen brings up is an awesome point. I think the choice to make Picard a synth is incredible. And I don't think anybody would have seen that coming, but what I would have enjoyed or what I believe is a stronger story is if you make Picard have to make the choice to become a synth. It really pays off what we saw at the end of Best of Both Worlds, in which a man has started hating the fact that he was once a machine, and it's he's dealing with the PTSD of it. But now, if at the end of the season, things had led to where he has to live for Soji, who is now his daughter, or his proto-daughter, however you want to put it, it not only pays off the conversation that uh, Lulu Kestra, or Kestra had with Soji, where she says, you know, you could be each other's 
parents or the you remember the conversation right mm-hmm, yeah absolutely and, uh it would have been so much more powerful if at the end of this episode picard is about to die but now he realizes that he has soji that he needs to live for mm-hmm. so he chooses to become a machine and then if you think about how much better the conversation that data and picard would have had would have been in mm-hmm. this conversation data would have said i spent my entire existence wondering what it was like to be human but now you really have the best of both worlds you get <laughs> to be a human and now you get to be a machine right huh. that is so much more powerful to me uh, speaking a, yeah sorry, as a storytelling choice it's so much more meaningful to me than him waking up and making a joke out of the fact that they made him a machine yeah well i mean that's something that i think they could explore in season 2 for sure and and look at that a lot more there was a lot of sort of full circles there as well i was thinking in terms of um um picard being you know having been forced to become a borg back in the day and i mean he didn't really have a choice on becoming a golem either but in in this case it's that difference and and i believe we spoke about this last time uh, with amy um and with a few other folk uh, throughout this is the xbs are the greatest part of um the the, the xbs are the greatest part of of borg sort of actualization in the sense that they have the hive mentality they can work together they can communicate but they also have autonomy and i think that's the big thing there is like picard could say and do whatever he wants it's just now i guess he doesn't have to go to the bathroom or something like that uh, i'm not terribly sure but uh, yeah look at this so uh, helen says uh, she agrees with you look at that debbie's also definitely on board with some of what you said too so here we go this is a good there's one thing though uh, kirk schwinn good point they said they copied his neural pathways and located them into the golem so he's just a copy well that brings up the old transporter paradox as well as maybe <laughs> picard died the first time he walked into a transporter do they you know when they put you through your pattern buff- buffer does that make the transporter actually just like a little suicide box that just recreates you exactly as were but your actual <laughs> consciousness like you're dead you're gone that would be it also a little bit earlier too a really good point um Brad uh, Demagd says I would say that the golem used to take away the impact of his death if they had if they had ended this episode with him dead and then do the golem in season 2 it might have worked better yeah mm-hmm. i could see that as well um pacing yeah. and and stuff like that that could have been the way here and then Jamie says uh this is just a pitch session for Shashank to be added to the se- <laughs> season 2 writers room right uh, you got me <laughs> I mean if that if that happens let's do it guys you kind of know my uh, you kind of know where to get in touch with me I'm Tregeeks to and to uh, Shashank at tregeeks.com please send me an email I would love to give you my more of my ideas and where I want season 2 to go but thank you for saying that no it was just uh, people think there was in some way everybody who didn't like the finale was just hating on it for hating sick but no it's because we were so excited for this to happen after all this time and if imagine if this is something that i somebody who just writes reviews and does podcasts can come up with the the possibilities were endless and i'm sure there there are better ideas out there for the way it ended but let's talk about the body man uh, the golem body that he gets uh, i felt really insulted when dr sung says oh we didn't want to shock you by giving you the golem body really you didn't want to shock picard this man once <laughs> fell asleep and lived an entire lifetime and then woke <laughs> up 10 minutes later yeah <laughs> uh he yeah, spent he months the- being trapped in a room uh, at his life on the brink uh, of a knife and he had to call out whether there were three lights or four lights 
Yeah. <laughs> he got picked up and sent into a machine and he was turned into a Borg. What can you do that will shock Picard? Giving him a younger body that is healthier will shock him? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can see that as well. Yeah, no, that <laughs> he fell asleep, <laughs> lived an entire life and woke up 10 minutes later. That truly is uh, just Picard. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay. We got to keep going because we want to keep this to relatively an hour or so. But uh, yep. Soji choosing the humans over the synths to you is a confusing choice. Let mm -hmm. us have it, Shashank. Why is that a confusing choice for you? Yeah, so I talked about this a little bit before. But this is somebody who only knew one organic for three days, maybe four. That is Picard. And all Picard, I'm not saying what Picard did is bad or not helpful. But he basically was just. He took her from one place to another. That's what he did. He saved her and, and then he took her from one place to another. But she now is in a place that is her home world. And she has an entire uh, race of people that she needs to think about. So the choice that she makes on shutting the portal down, uh, when all these organics are ready to kill her, and she basically was abused by an organic uh, for months or however long that was, whatever Kayan and her relationship was for, uh, the way Organics treated her her entire life and then her on a speech which is very moving and very powerful, albeit it's, it's confusing to me that in that moment she would not think about all those people, especially considering what they'd been through, to not keep the portal open and have her guards come down so she could finally be free or not have to be continue to be subservient to these organics who have done mostly harm to their people. So I have an I have a response. I've been thinking about this since you and I spoke a little bit about this, and yeah. I truly think that she didn't even really listen to Picard's speech. If you think about it, it was it was a good one, and I think it worked a lot. But I think if you think about the neural processing that it went through. I think she was able to discern in that moment that Picard, despite the violence and terribleness that organics have shown, is unrelenting in his empathy and kindness. And seeing that her sister or, or cousin or however you want to say it, um, um, uh, Sutra, what she was willing to do and how she was willing to change the minds of the other synths so quickly and in evoke this. And I think also bearing the fact that Soji realized that she could literally push the button on an entire system of life, right? Organic life itself or anything that could cause a problem that she decided to be the Picard side of it, to be the unrelenting good, to just in the face of overwhelmingly bad people and bad choices, I will still make the better right choice. And I don't think she wanted that much death on her hands. I think she she realizes how much her life has been ruined by a whole bunch of people uh, in such a short period of time. Uh, I think she just decides to stop. And I wonder to some degree, you know, O's kind of connection to this. I, I thought O was going to stick around a little longer, but um, I think also being half Vulcan, she was able to logic that and be like, okay, yep, nope, that uh, that sort of makes me look like, an, like a butthead. But maybe not. I mean, maybe I'm adding too much to it. Maybe I'm kind of headcanoning this too much. I don't know. What do we think in the comments? 
yeah, hit us with the comments. Feel free to interrupt me when you get a good comment out there. Mm -hmm. uh, but so going by that logic, wouldn't the better choice for her people, because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, wouldn't the better choice be to keep that open so we see what comes out of it? I mean, even the admonition after the exposition we get from Sutra, we don't really know if they're coming to completely destroy the universe. We just know that they are somebody who will be coming and something is going to happen. They had little uh, pincers. I don't think they were going to be our friends. I don't know. How, I mean, we have <laughs> had, we are in a planet where they have giant space flowers and they seem to be our friends. Kind of. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily <laughs> want to go through a uh, uh, a re uh, an entry into or what do they call it, planet fall? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily want to actually make that uh, a real thing. Again, very selfishly, I would have thought wanted to see what it would have been to finally see since free to make such a decision uh, in in the world of Star Trek. Like, if you think about it, it's it's always only been machines are horrible or. Star Trek Picard, you kind of gain empathy and sympathy for the Borg. Mm -hmm. It has never been machines are now their own people and they get to make a choice and they get to be part of this experience that we are living they in. They did make a choice, though. Soji made a very important choice by shutting that thing. And I think that's going to stand up in a, you know, in in the Federation's eyes, in the Romulan Star Empire or whatever is left of its eyes, in a lot mm -hmm. of eyes. Like they could have, they literally had their hand over the button of death and they were like just about to do it. And they really got close, but they went, no, I, I won't. We won't do that. That's not something we want. Um, also, I slowed this down. Maybe somebody in the comments might correct me, but something came out of that, right? Those pincer things, they escaped. Yeah, they reached in for a second and then they pulled right back in. I think they came out and then the portal shut down. So well, they, they came actually... Out. No, no, they went back in. Okay. I saw them retract. Okay. That's good. Marie Marina has yeah. a good point. And then we're going to get onto our fan sets spot because sure. we're already we're already getting long here. So uh, Marina says, I think Soji was already in the frame of mind that did not want to set off more deaths despite the circumstances. Remember the conversation she had with Picard previously about dying and killing for a greater good. I do think that those pieces definitely had a had a part to that. I'm going to give I'm going to give Marina the last word and want to have a quick chat before we continue on to our next segment. I want to take a brief moment to talk to you about our sponsors and Trek family at Fansets. So many ways you can express your fan uh, fandom, but if you're looking for artistry, care to attention and detail and a friendly down to earth customer service, you won't find a better place than the people at Fansets. Plus, like they've been saying, they are releasing micro coup pins uh, for Star Trek Picard. Um, there's uh, Dodge, Elnor, Agnes Girati um, are going to be adding uh, pending final approval, uh, as far as I know so far. Um, but there's also a whole bunch more than just the Star Trek world that you can look for with fan sets as well, from Alien to DC to Marvel. Um, and as an offer, as long as the season is going, so I think we're coming to the end of this, uh, Fansets is offering 15% discount um, to any order while Picard Season 1 is on. So enter P-I-C-A-R-D-L-I-V-E, uh, all caps, and get your 15% off. I would say that is ending super fast, if not uh, uh, imminently. So uh, definitely check that out if you want to get that discount code. Fansets. Our pins have character, and we thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Network. Big shout out to Lou and John and the and the gang down there. I love you, DeFord, but Fansets does not have Marvel pins yet. I hope no, one day they, they don't. Get it because you're right. They'll they'll be the best quality. Also, uh, 
for people listening, I hope you will tag fansets on Twitter. I kind of started a little thing to see if they will give us an F8 pin. Remember F8? The oh, yeah. that started the destruction. I would love an F8 pin. So guys, yeah. if you just, just ping them and say, hey, are we still getting an F8 pin? That would be nice. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, one quick one. This cannot be ignored. I'm curious. Marina Kavchuk says, I'm curious about those Uber synths. Do you think they thought that the beacon from Coppelius was an accidental butt call and won't come looking? <laughs> I think that is great. <laughs> no, I think it was their version of the 2 a.m. booty call. You oh, asked question no. mark. And no. they were like, well, I'm never coming back. I mean, no. <laughs> Dan, our EBH will remove you from the stream if you continue. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I stopped. It was very PG. All right. <laughs> well, let's get on to our next segment. Um, it's one of my favorites. And uh, well, I mean, I guess answers are pretty much here because this is it. We've uh, we've seen uh, we've seen basically what's happened in the uh, the Stargazer. I want to get us onto that scene where we start looking at uh, what might be changing and what might be going on and all of that sort of stuff. So you said something very important to me at the very beginning of this. Six good, four bad. Tell me all about it, Shashank. Uh, if, if I had to reflect back on the season... People can go back and listen to the Polytrex episodes that I did with special guests from one to six. I was having an awesome time. Uh, I think they just wrote themselves on the top of a cliff and they just did not have the time to build a glider so they could fly off the cliff. Mm -hmm. So for me, I felt like uh, when six hit, they just realized we are going to fly with our arms open with no glider and they ju it just went straight down the cliff. Uh, I, I, that doesn't mean I think the season was a loss. I still think the pilot is the most entertaining, engaging, really the best pilot we got in all of Star Trek. And that's saying something because we have a lot of pilots in Star Trek. Uh, I think the impossible box is its finest hour, but unfortunately with that, uh, I think after the impossible box, they didn't have the ideas that were needed to keep that steam engine running. So mm. they they did what they could in the time they had. Yeah. What about I you? Mean, what did you think? I really liked the season and I liked how it it sort of talked about how pieces of us exist in everyone else and our legacies are important to us and that we as individuals can really only be ourselves in so many in so many ways. And the idea that life and death and their sort of dance, their their sort of existence in one another, I think is is important. So, I guess like the 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 kind of the the messages, morals, and meanings as our as our friends at uh, um, uh, blah, at Mission Log would say. Sorry, guys, uh, our friends at Mission Log would say. You know, um, there are some deeper messages and some deeper morals that I really appreciated. You know, we're here to save each other, uh, that sort of stuff. And, and not being yourself gets you right in your face quite often. So I do think that that's the thing. I do want to mention something about both discovery and star Trek Picard is if you watch those opening sequences, first of all, you're in for a treat, a lot of good visuals, beautiful music, but look at how many producers there are. Sometimes I wonder if we're yelling at the writers when we also have to understand that the producers are all coming in with different things that they want and different things that are happening. And so I would say what we see from, um, you know, six to 10 specifically in this series is all of those specific things that each producer wanted to have happening 
and they kind of tumble over one another. So I would say more than anything, I really hope CBS thinks about doing more than 10 episodes. And this might have to do with contracts. It might have to do with Sir Patrick Stewart's, you know, just willingness to get up at four in the morning to go do makeup and that sort of stuff, which I kind of understand. But um, I think, yeah, it would have been helped. And there was another mention as well that um, if, uh, if we would have had like a 90 or 120 minute finale, we might've had more time to sort of work through some of these things. So I appreciate you saying, you know, one thing good, you know, one, one part good, other part, not as good, because you know what, mm-hmm. that's, that's natural that, that happens. But I want to ask you sort of as a follow-up, do you think everybody in this story actualized or their contradictions? Do you think those contradictions that they had to start with were resolved? So if you think about Gerardi, Rafi, uh, seven, Chris, um, all of them together, who is the one who like saw kind of all the way to the finish line versus maybe not so much for all of them? Well, that's a difficult question uh, for, I think seven of nine, if you ask me, had, even though she wasn't really the main cast, I think she had the the best and the most reflective, uh, the most philosophically ponderous arc, because you see where she goes, you see her at her lowest and at highest, and the, in the end, you kind of see her reflecting on death and the amount of death that she is causing. You, I, I thought uh, they really appreciated the fact that seven uh, Jerry Ryan came back and they said, we really need to make something out of the character in the story that Jerry is telling uh, with seven this time around. And that to me was the most satisfying arc mm. on the extreme end of that. I don't know if Elnor really did a whole lot, except just like standing there and looking awesome, which is good. Uh, I think it's okay to have characters like that. And it's 10 episodes, it's 10 hours. You have all these people. You cannot get to everyone. So I understand it. I wish he had some. He had done something uh, that I felt, you know, the, yeah, that character, I'm so glad he was there. Like that, he, we really needed Elnor, you know? And he grew. I, I wish yeah. I had felt that. Yeah. I liked his the ending part when he was uh, protecting Hugh. Uh, that was a really cool ending that they gave him. But yeah, I wish there was a little bit more that they did with uh, with Elnor. There's 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 a lot more to kind of get. There's a, a, a couple comments here, though, that I just want to quickly jump through here. Um, yeah, Marina does correct me in saying that a lot of those producers are pretty much honorary credits, not showrunner level ones. That is that is absolutely correct. So yeah, not all of those ones are the right ones. Um, Jackie, though, says, I think if we are set with 10 episodes, that rewatches will be how to get to fully understand each one. So much to unpack in almost, in almost each of them. And I think that's another thing, too, is um, I almost wonder if this season was almost hampered a little bit by kind of what's happening right now. We've 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 all ended up at home and uh and i don't know some of the stuff that happened unintentionally sort of felt on the nose to me and yeah i guess like i kind of started watching the episodes differently as our current situation changed and i wonder if that would have been something to to kind of reflect on as well if if we were in a different sort of state of mind right now if we would be um responding to these episodes differently uh Yes, that that is. I I understand that. Uh, yeah, I I do feel, you know, the choice to add too much in a, in any episode is also a choice they're making. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about it, at the beginning of the show, they set up Zaban and Laris. We never see them again. Mm-hmm. I think they could have saved some time if they had those characters in here. I felt like they could have trimmed the fat of a lot of the episodes. Another thing I was thinking about. I'll try to keep these very brief, but. Uh, 
if really Jurati is not going to pay the price for what she did with Maddox, why wasn't it Maddox and Coppelius doing what Dr. Sung was doing? Mm. It would have made sense. It would have come organically. And the whole time you're leading toward Maddox instead of it, him just appearing and dying in an episode. Uh, so I felt like by adding too many characters, it's in episode nine that we learn about Coppelius, right? We don't really learn about it until that point. And then it becomes so much that they have to take the risk of throwing some things off and not satisfying them or resolving them. So that that did, again, the choice to add too much is also something they did. But hashtag justice for number one. Why isn't the dog in every episode? <laughs> well, apparently I was told that that he was a little bit more trouble than they were expecting. He was a little rambunctious on set. So that's good. A couple uh, good comments coming in here. Um, uh, according to Shaban, um, they became part of the synth community. That's the XBs. Uh, they did film something, but pretty much all additional scenes involving them ended up on the cutting room floor. That is sad. Yeah. Then um, Fansets pops in. I'm guessing that might be Lou or John. Uh, Hello, Picard Live. They say season length predicated by budget. Um, yeah, that is definitely a thing as well. Uh, that, that comes up quite a bit. And, and, you know, one thing that I really did appreciate was that the Borg Cube set, especially after it had crash landed, um, really felt like like a drama studio I used to do drama in when I was in university. And I was like, oh my gosh, we could make a board musical. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, Dan uh, Gunther says, agreed. I wanted I wanted to see Laris Jaban and Picard arguing philosophy in season two. I think that's important. A lot of people are saying that they want them back. We've got Debbie and Helen. Um, Jackie is all saying that as well. So yeah, let's uh, by popular demand, get those, those folks back. So I think... Let's just hop into a couple uh, supplementals uh, really, really quick. Um, so it's just talking about the extra stuff that didn't necessarily fit into the episode. Maybe there's some online chatter as well worth mentioning as we sort of close off um, this final season uh, episode. I can't believe we're already here. So let's uh, finish off with our supplementals segment. Well, vulgarity, profanity, and slurs like half meat. Uh, what do you think about that? About the, uh, the, the use of vulgarity, the use of profanity. Um, had, did that ever bother you at all? It didn't bother me. I, I kind of felt a bit disappointed by it, to be honest, because a lot of the people who watch things like The Next Generation and DS9, etc., were, they were not all adults. Some of them were in their teenage or, you know, preteens, people who could have enjoyed this more had that language not been in there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it really accomplished anything having them in there. It's fine that they're in there. I hope CBS considers coming out with family PG cuts. So all that is cut out and you can get still get kids to sit down and watch some of the non-disturbing yeah. graphic stuff. This isn't a kid's show. And I'm, I'm going to say that just, just thinking about it, like I would say viewer discretion is definitely advised throughout it. Sure. But I think, I think that's, that's sort of what's happening is, is instead of sort of a single flagship, uh, pardon the pun series, or maybe two sort of moving in tandem with each other a little bit. Um, what we're getting now is sort of like a stained glass sort of tapestry, you know, the, a red angel of, of Star Trek itself, where each piece of stained glass is going to have a different color and shape to it. And it's going to be able to express things a little bit differently too. I wonder if, if um, that's kind of Star Trek Picard's point is it's for the kids who grew up, who are now adults in mm -hmm. this world. And Space Dad, is, like we said, you know, has come to, to come to help him out. Yeah. Let's see what uh, some folks are saying here. 
Oh, yeah. Some bad names. Yeah. Cardassians referred to as spoonheads. Absolutely. And that's kind of where I was getting at is, you know, pointier and, you know, green blooded hobgoblin and half meat. Um, I do have to say that there have been some good uh, some good uh, slang in the Star Trek world. Let's see here. Jackie, with the content being so heavy and going to dark areas, having profanity seemed a natural way uh, for upset adults talking. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, if you're getting your eyeball pulled out, you're going to be screaming and swearing (laughs) and stuff like that, too. So absolutely. Um, However, Chris is saying the language felt really gratuitous. It's okay, but the only reason we're talking about it is for so long, Star Trek was pretty clean. No, that is actually an extremely good point, Chris. Uh, I lost you there. There we are. So... What are our expectations then? Just really, really quick, and everyone in the comments, we'll see if we can do a little run here. What are some of our big, non-negotiable expectations that we want to uh, to see? And so I give you, Shashank, some time to think about it, and everyone else some time to think about it. I'll tell you what I'm thinking. So we have them basically zipping off into the sunset kind of thing. Um, you know, sort of an ending has taken place, but I really feel like a lot of threads are still loose and a lot of threads are still sort of hanging in the wind, not in a sense that the storytelling didn't conclude. Cause I don't think there was necessarily an obligation to do that being that there's going to be a second season. But I think that what we're going to see is this crew, whatever, whatever they end up being um, as some kind of subversive element with the Federation, which is going to create Starfleet's redemption arc. I think that through this, this is going to be kind of like their mystery van and they're going to be like the Scooby-Doo mystery team to go around and start bringing some unity back and bringing community back to to Starfleet. Because, I mean, it's pretty obvious they've had a pretty hard go. So that's my big thing is I really want to see Starfleet redeemed in season two. How about you, Shashank? My biggest non-negotiable expectation is to see what they do with Picard as a synth. Uh, Like I was saying earlier, I think the choice was great. I think the opportunity to make it a little different or more powerful was missed. But nevertheless, now that we are here, I want to see what someone with the morals and the, the honor that Picard has does with this new lease of life that he has been given. Considering that now he's going to be part of a people that are not treated as well as humans. Or in this in this show, in this season, we saw what non-Starfleet Picard was treated like. I hope we get to see what non-human Picard will really be treated like mm. when he goes to different places in the universe. Yeah, I mean, he even was quite upset with the Romulans when they wouldn't let him into that restaurant mm-hmm. uh, in earlier on. So yeah, absolutely. Brian Needs brings up a great point. I'm sure Picard and Guinan will have lots to talk about. I'm still hoping for a Captain Harry Kim, only if in a name. Yes, that is a non-negotiable. We need a Captain Harry Kim. Come on. <laughs> that is good. Um, I think that, you know, when we start kind of projecting into what season two is going to throw at us... Um, I feel like the big problem really was solved. So they are going to have to find some other larger existential threat, I think, to bring in. Or maybe they're going to take it in a completely different direction. And maybe there won't be a big existential threat. I don't know. We're going to find out. Yeah. Dan from uh, Kurtrats and Trek FM says, I want to see uh, Seven and Rafi. They set 
uh, that up in the finale. And I want to see these two characters uh, pulling the broken pieces of each other or putting the broken pieces of each other back together. I have to say, if there was one thing that got those two talking and getting them into the position that they found themselves at the end of the show, it was definitely Rafi talking to Seven about the Omega particle. What do you think? I thought it was the game of Kalto. You remember that? Oh, the, yeah. The, the, I think that was where things started. I'm sure uh, one of them was messing with him and the other walked by and said, no, oh, that looks interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Jackie says, we still have displaced XPs and Romulans. We have synths that are hated by so many. Quite a few stories still in there. Absolutely. I think even if they just hung on to that and the process of of finding new normals uh, might be, might be kind of cool. It would be neat to not have sort of like a, a singular enemy or a singular... Um, issue kind of thing and I, I i guess maybe to some degree um picard actually didn't have a, a singular enemy it was very sort of nuanced in that respect i would really like to see seven come back as a board queen and do something something yeah. with it well an xb an xb leader i guess yeah. you know i don't think she'd take queen jamie uh, mcgregor says i'm ready for a series where the entire fate of all life of the universe isn't threatened yeah yeah i mean like i think just like patching things together and making sort of a unified um you know some more unity and some more connection and and you know fellowship and friendship between the federation and other um entities in the galaxy i think that would be really cool uh jason mark says we saw rafi consoling elnor when picard quote unquote died i wonder if there'll be more like that um like rafi being more of a mother figure since rafi's son won't speak to her yeah i mean there is sort of a mother figure that that could be had and quite a lot of good mother figures if you think about it with with both rafi and seven being kind of motherly in that respect um there is a very maternal strength and it's quite beautiful actually i like that uh, part of it quite a bit I know she got called mother a few times, but Jurati is not the best person to be a mother. I just want to put that out there. No, 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 no. And and I do hope, I, I do actually hope as well that that uh, Jurati gets uh, gets some uppance uh, to some degree, or at least it gets addressed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be that would be very important. Well, Shashank, we've gone ten minutes over. You are now my longest episode of Picard Live, so congratulations. That is wonderful. Everyone in the comments, you are fantastic as usual. So thank you so much. Uh, loving to see everyone here. So I think um, that's that will be that. So in two weeks uh, on Picard Live, so next week we take a, uh, a week off, uh, we'll take a look at the entire first season of Star Trek Picard, uh, the season one wrap-up extravaganza. And I've got uh, Dan Davidson and Bill Smith popping on for that one. So that is going to be Ugh. super fun. Yeah, I know, I know. Those guys. Well, you know what? If... Uh, in the meantime, uh, for more Star Trek discussion, check out the other podcasts of the Trek Geek Podcast Network. It can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even on trekgeeks.com. We have a five-year mission podcast coming out right away, so you're going to want to check that out very, very soon. And I just want to quickly pop in here. It will be interesting, the fansets folks say, it will be interesting uh, with the Viacom leadership taking some control of the Trek universe with their management. I wonder if that is going to be a a change. So interesting little piece there that I thought I would uh, bring in too. So if you can't attend the live stream on any given week, fret not. You can download the audio-only version of this podcast the next day. Just search for Trek Geeks Picard Live on your favorite podcast platform. And the beautiful music you hear is also from the band Five Year Mission. You should totally check them out. I've been going on a bit of a deep dive of their stuff recently, considering I've had more time at home to do so. And I'm learning some bass lines, boys. So, uh, you know, if you ever need a backup bassist, I'm around. So Shashank, where can we find you? 
People can find me on at gutter underscore hero on Twitter. That is G-U-T-T-E-R underscore H-E-R-O. I do Trek comic reviews on treknews.net. I write an article for them every now and then. But my main podcasting gig is one I used to do with a brother of mine who does not do it with me anymore because he's too good for the show. Oh, uh, I'm doing he, this. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm kidding. But uh, people, if they've enjoyed what I said and some of my theories and my armchair writing, as I call it, uh, if, listen to the engaging with Star Trek Picard series that I've been doing on Polytrex, which is also part of the Trek Geeks Network. And please send us constructive criticism. We love hearing things that people disagree with and agree with. Uh, thank you for all the comments. Thank you for staying tuned and not yelling at me because I didn't enjoy the episode as much as most people did. Hey, uh, but we, yes, I got to score here on Polytrex. Nice. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for, for watching. This has been A Slice. Looking forward to one more time in two weeks. Uh, but until then, we say live long and prosper. Good night, everyone. And onward to Star Sighting. <laughs>